Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. We've been studying Jesus in the gospel according to Mark, uh, but today we want to honor Father's Day and go a little bit different direction, and we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. There's an interesting connection, though, here. Jesus often in his ministry quoted from the Old Testament. And do you know the book that he quoted most often in his ministry? The book of Deuteronomy. So in some ways we could say this is his favorite book. That might be a little bit of a, of, of a stretch to use that language, but this is a book that Jesus quoted often, and we're going to spend some time in Deuteronomy this morning. Now, when we come to Deuteronomy chapter 17, and you'll just have to forgive my cold. I just can't uh, seem to shake this cough, so I'll stop a time or two. Uh, but as we go through, uh, as we focus on Deuteronomy chapter 17, what we find is that uh, the Lord is giving through Moses some instructions for future kings of Israel. And so these men who are going to be kings in the generations to come, God says there are some key instructions that you need to know, some key things that you need to do in order to be successful, godly, God-honoring kings. And so he gives these instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Now, when you look through history from this point forward, you discover that some of the kings of Israel were very successful. Some of them did amazing things. Some of them were focused on the Lord. Some of them were selfless leaders, bold, courageous leaders. And it, it's just amazing how they set an example for believers, for generations to follow. But some of these kings were wicked men. They were terrible leaders. They caused all kinds of trouble. They caused bloodshed. They committed every sin. They caused people to turn away from God and worship false gods. There were some great kings and some terrible kings. So what distinguishes the two? Why were some kings so successful and other kings such a failure? I think if you look into their lives, and, and these are interesting things that you can study as you look at biblical history, you will discover that the kings who followed the instructions of Deuteronomy 17, those were the successful kings. And the kings that ignored the instructions of Deuteronomy 17, those kings failed. Now here's why that's important to us. I think it's true for us. Men, fathers, grandfathers today, if we want to be successful, if we want to have a godly influence, I believe the key is to follow the instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 17. If we will follow these instructions, we'll be great men of God. If we fail to follow these instructions, then we will fail to be the dads, the fathers, the grandfathers that we could have been and that God wants us to be. The key is Deuteronomy 17. And so we're going to focus on just three or four verses here. This will be a simple message this morning. Deuteronomy 17, let's begin in verse 18. Moses writes, when he is seated on his royal throne, talking about the king who would one day sit on a throne, when he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. Now the scroll he's talking about, the word, would have been the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Uh, just the first five books that you have, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those are the books. He is to write them for himself on a scroll in the presence, it says at the end of verse 18, of the Levitical priest. It is, verse 19, to remain with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, 
so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left. And he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. So he says that there's there's this one command, and we're going to see it from three or four different sides, but there's this one command that will make a difference whether this king will be a successful king and he will serve for many years and his sons will serve for many years, or if he will be a failure. It all came back for the kings to this simple instruction. And I believe for dads, it comes back to this simple instruction as well. So the first thing I want to do is to walk back through those few verses, and I want you to see the benefits. We're going to get to exactly what it is that we're to do, what this passage commands us to do in a moment, but let's start with the benefits. What would happen for the king if he did this, and what would happen for us and for dads if they would do this? There are four or five things. We'll just walk back through starting in verse 19. It says, it is to remain with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. That's the first thing that'll happen. If you will read the Bible all the days of your life, you will learn to fear the Lord your God. You will learn to have a right walk with the Lord. People sometimes say, Pastor, I'm I'm frustrated that I feel such a distance from God. I want to have a passion for God that I don't have. I just feel like I don't have confidence in God. I don't have trust in God. Where do we get that? Where does that come from? Well, it is a gift from God that comes through the reading of God's word. And so he tells us here at the end of verse 19 that if we'll be faithful to do this, that we will fear the Lord. We will have this proper understanding and walk with the Lord all the days of our lives. The key to having the right attitude before the Lord, a reverent, a fearful attitude, to have a right walk with the Lord is what? To be daily in his word. So benefit number one is that it just simply gives us a right walk, a right attitude with the Lord. Now the second thing it does is it, is it makes us obedient. Now let's continue to look at verse 19 right at the end. It says, to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. Now, it doesn't guarantee that if you read God's word that you're going to obey God's word. There are some people who know God's word well and who do not obey God's word. But the truth is that for the most part, the people who are in God's word, daily in God's word, focused on God's word, studying God's word, those are people who find obedience in their lives. The people who have lives of disobedience are generally people who are not immersed into God's word. How can we become more obedient? How can we have the wisdom and the inner strength? How can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to experience obedience in our lives? We can be daily in God's word. So the first benefit, rightly walking with God. The second benefit, it makes us more obedient. The third benefit, it it makes us rightly related to other people. Look at verse 20. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. So when we read God's word, it not only changes our relationship with God, our walk with God, but it changes our relationships with other people. 
Some people are just haughty. Some people are just filled with pride. Some people can't communicate well or relate well to others because they don't have the right attitudes. The Bible says that we ought to consider other people's preferences ahead of our own. That's so hard for some people to embrace. What is the key to having a humble spirit with other people? He says here, it is to be daily engaged with God's word. Uh, if, if you see a person who is, um, who is filled with pride, if you see a person who just leads to contention, everything they say leads to contention, almost always you're looking at a person who's not engaged in God's word. The more I'm engaged in God's word, the more humble that makes me, especially in my relationships with other people. Now, there's another benefit, not only a right walk with God, a right fellowship with God, obedience, a humble attitude with others, but it also makes us prudent. Let's look at verse 20 again. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left. Now, that sounds a whole lot like obedience, and it is, but I think this is more than that. This is the ability to stay focused on the task. There will always be things that will distract us. There will always be things that will catch our eye. Listen, men, many a man, many a father has destroyed his family because he's been distracted, because he's looked to the left and he's looked to the right. But he says if we're daily engaged in God's word, it will keep us focused on the path that God wants us to be upon. It will help us not to be distracted, to make wise, prudent decisions, to do what we ought to do to keep us from looking to the left and to the right. And then the final thing I want you to see here, uh, the final benefit right here at the end of verse 20, and he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. So what does it mean that you will continue to reign? Well, in those days, you would measure the success of a king by how long he remained the king. You would measure the success of a king by whether or not his sons became kings after him. And so he says here that if you're engaged in God's word, king, then you will be a king for a long time and your children will be kings. Now, what does that tell us? It says that God's word is the key to success. Now, maybe not material success, perhaps, uh, but, but this is a, a Sermon on the Mount kind of success. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said of, of all that he had spoken, all of the word of God and the instruction that he had given, he said, if you follow these instructions, you will be like a man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms come, the house will stand strong, as opposed to the man who builds his house upon the sand, and when the storms come, the house folds. What he's talking about, the kind of success he's talking about, is this stormy stand kind of success, that if we will be men who build our lives upon a daily commitment to God's word, that when the storms come, when life is difficult, we will be able to stand firm. We'll have success. So I, I want you to see, before we get into the instructions, uh, I, I want you to see what the benefits are. And he says to the kings, if you will do this, then you'll walk rightly with me. You'll have a right relationship with others. You'll be obedient. You won't be distracted. And you'll be successful. 
And I think he's saying to men today, to fathers, that if we'll do this with God's word, and we're going to see exactly what it is in a moment we should do, then we will have a right walk with God. We will live lives of obedience. We won't be distracted to the left or to the right. We will have a humble attitude with other people, and we will be blessed of God, and when the storms come, we will stand. So what is it exactly that these verses say that the king should do? And what should we do? What's the command? What's the instruction? Well, there's just basically one instruction, invest your life in God's word. But let me look at it from three or four different angles because that's how scripture does it here. The first thing I think we see is that there is a command to make connecting to God's word first priority. Our commitment to God's word ought to be the highest priority in our lives. So if you look back at verse 18, where we began to read a moment ago, it says, when he is seated on his royal throne. So this is talking about the very first day of the king's reign. So when a, when a, when a person would become king and he would be anointed as the new king of Israel, he would go and he would sit on his throne. And when he sat on his throne, then that officially started his reign as king. That was the first thing. And so he says here, as soon as you sit on the throne, you need to start doing whatever with God's word. We'll see what it is in a moment. But I want you to see that right off the bat, he's saying this should be your first priority. Have you noticed when we elect presidents uh, that almost without exception on the first day that they are in office, uh, the TV cameras are there and they are in the Oval Office and they sign a bunch of executive orders uh, six or eight or 10, I don't know how many they sign, but these executive orders, things that they are most passionate about, things that are first priority issues for them, things that they've, they have uh, talked about throughout their campaign, they will on the very first day sign those executive orders. Well, that's what he's talking about here. He says, King, the first day, the first thing you should do is to engage with God's word. If you want to be king of Israel, what should you do? Number one, start with God's word. Listen, dads, and this is true of everybody, we need to make connecting with God's word first priority. You know, there are some priorities in our lives. I think sometimes we don't even recognize that we just really craft our entire lives around those priorities. Uh, one of them is eating lunch or eating dinner. Right? So have you ever thought about it? Now, some, some people are breakfast people and some people are not, but most people eat lunch and supper. And you have probably crafted your entire schedule around you eating those two meals every day, right? I mean, most of us don't skip eating lunch or supper, at least not very often. Our whole life, it seems, is scheduled around those two events. Our workplaces are scheduled around those two events. School life with your kids is scheduled around those two events. We have taken those two events, lunch and supper, and we have crafted our entire culture around that so that there's always time for those two things. Why? Because those are pretty high priority for us. You see, you see how that priority has shaped how we live? I'll give you another example. Probably, and some of you will have a very formal living room in your home, and it may not, this may not be exactly true for you, but for most of us, our living rooms or our dens, whatever you call them at your house, has probably been carefully designed 
so that all the focus would be on what? Television set. I mean, when you design your living room, you don't go into an empty room and just start putting furniture in and then at the end say, oh, where are we gonna put the TV? No, when, when, you're, when you've got a, a, an empty room, the first decision you make is what? Where are we gonna put the TV? And then everything else revolves around the television. You've got all of these chairs and all these couches and all this other stuff and, and everything. If, if you visited from outer space and you didn't know anything about our civilization or anything about televisions, you just went to our homes, you would come away with the conclusion that in, 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 in that civilization, they worship this rectangle piece of glass. Because in everybody's home, there's just like this altar to it. The whole room is, is oriented to focus on the television. Okay, now I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Might, might be, I don't know. It's true at my house, so I, I can't pick on me. But we need to have the same strategy when it comes to reading our Bible. We, we don't need to fit reading the Bible into our already busy lives we need to first, make it first priority. We need to find how and when and, 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 and how much time it takes to invest in the Bible, in reading and studying the Bible. And then we need to put all the other pieces around that. Let everything focus on that rather than trying to fit that in. Just like you don't try to fit in supper and you don't just try to fit in your television, you, you craft your life and your house around those things. We need to craft our lives around our commitment to the Bible. It should be first priority. Uh, I, I love Psalm 1, the first Psalm. I love the whole, the whole passage, especially the first three verses, but let me read to you the second verse, Psalm 1-2. Blessed, and you picked that word up from the previous verse, but blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. Now, he says that the man who, who meditates on God's word, that's the one who will, who will be blessed. We need to make God's word, the study, the investment in God's word, not something we fit in, but it should be first priority in our lives. So the second thing that this passage is telling us, not only to make it first priority, uh, but we need to work at it, work at connecting God's word. That's interesting. You look back at verse 18. It says, when he is seated on his royal throne, so first party, the first thing, notice what he's, what he's supposed to do. He is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. So he's to take out his ballpoint pen and his scroll, and while people watch him, he is to handwrite the first five books of the Bible. Now, that's a, that's a lot of work. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, certainly there, there would be an easier way to do that. Uh, I mean, God, God, this isn't a very efficient thing. The king is a busy man. I, I thought of some different options. I wrote them down. He could have just had somebody else write it for him, right? He's the king. He's got all these people around him. He could have just said, hey, you write down God's word. Bible says I need a copy of it. You make me a copy. You write it down. He could have said that, but it didn't. He, he could have... He could have just said, have somebody read God's word to you. You know, while you're sitting on the throne, king, have one of these priests come and have them just read it aloud and you can listen to it. But it doesn't say that either. 
Another thing it could have said is just have a copy of God's word close in case you have a question, you could call upon somebody to bring it to you and you could find the answer. But he doesn't say that. What does he tell this busy king to do? First priority, first day on the throne, he is to make a handwritten copy of God's word. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that God wants our investment in his word to be work. This isn't just a casual thing. God wants us to work at it. God wants us to sweat over this a little bit. God wants it to be hard. God wants us to invest in it in such a way that it costs us something. See, our Bible study commitment, if it's first priority, it can't just be a casual commitment. We don't just need to read it occasionally. We don't just need to come to church occasionally. We need to dig deep. And we need to dig deeper. We need to look up all of those little references at the bottom. We need to see what what other parts of the Bible say about the same thing that we're reading. We need to pick up a a commentary or, or, or some other resource that can help us to understand it. We need to work hard at reading God's word. That's what he's telling the king. It needs to be your first priority, but it needs to be something you work at. It would have been a task to write down by hand, especially in that day with the uh, writing instruments they had on a scroll, uh, the first five books of the Bible. He's saying you need to work hard at it. Uh, I I was thinking, uh, Richard, where's Richard? I know he's here. I saw him playing a while ago. Where is he? There he is. He's back there. I, I, so, so Richard is our is our organist, and it's got to hurt you to play on a keyboard and not the organ in here. But uh, so, so Richard is our organist, and and Richard, you know, p- plays the organ. If you've ever looked at the organ, there's like 300 buttons there, and you, know, you push, and, and they all do different things. And 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 Richard is uh, is very good at playing the organ. Now, I, I enjoy music. And I have a casual understanding of music. I could probably walk up to the organ and find middle C, I guess. You know, I could count and find it. And I know what a quarter note is and an eighth note. And I could probably, I could find the notes on the staff. But that's probably, that's about the limit of my... um, of my music knowledge, I have a really good radio and sound system, so I, you know I can play some nice sounding music. But but that's that's about my limit. Now, I, so I'm a casual music lover, casual music lover. Richard though spends hours working on working on playing the organ. Now, so what's the difference between me and Richard? Me me being a very casual music person, I listen to organ music, or Richard being able to produce it. Well, I'm sure it's a, a level of talent that I don't have, but, but much, much more than that is that he invests in it. He spends time. Uh, I, I know how much he practices because he comes to the church to practice because that's where the organ is, and I, and I can hear him practice, and he spends hours, you would be amazed, hours every week in there playing that organ, figuring it out, making music. Now, it's, it's the investment. That's what I'm trying to say. We, we don't need to have an approach to scripture like I have to music. You know, I, I, can, I, I can probably find my way around the keyboard or, or I could talk a little bit about a music staff, but that's about it. We need to have a Richard approach to scripture. We need to spend time on it. We need to work hard. Our fingers need to hurt. Our back needs to hurt. We need to be invested in it. That's what he tells the king. Make it your first priority and work at this. And then number three, he says we ought to make it a daily, a daily commitment. Uh, if you just continue to read, 
he says uh, in, in verse 18 that he is to write this down. Verse 19 is to remain with him. And he is to read from it all the days of his life. All the days of his life. Now that's a, that's a simple command. It doesn't really need much explanation. Uh, it, it, we ought to read it every day. This isn't something that we can do occasionally. I, I think sometimes we, we have the idea that, uh, that, that I'll invest greatly in God's word in some seasons of my life and then I know it pretty well, and so I'll just coast in other seasons of life. But no, the command is for this king that he's to read it every single day. Now, after a few days, he's got it in his mind. If he reads it every day, you could read through the first five books of the Bible in just a week or two, uh, even reading just a little bit every day. Why is he to read it again? Because there's some value to being in God's word every single day. We know this if we look at other things in life. Uh, doctors tell us that we ought to exercise a little bit every day, right? And so if you exercise 20 minutes a day, doctors tell you that you'll be a little healthier uh, because you've done that. Uh, but I did a little math. Instead of exercising 20 minutes a day, you could just exercise all day long once a quarter. And you could just schedule it and get it over with, you know, maybe the, you know, the second Tuesday of the third month or something. And, and you could just, you get up in the morning and you exercise till midnight. You would get the same number of minutes in. But would that have the same value? Uh, no. Now, I'm not giving you medical advice, but we got a bunch of doctors. You ask them on the way out. I'm sure they're going to tell you that exercising all day long once a quarter, in fact, that might not even be a good thing. You're, you're likely to die at the end of that day. I mean, that would be a miserable day. No, exercise has value because you do it a little bit every day let's talk about vitamins. You know, vitamins, do you take a vitamin every day? And doctors tell us that that's a good thing to do. There is a more efficient way to do this. You could just sit down on January 1st. You could put 365 vitamins in a bowl of cereal and you could just eat it. And you could get it all done with. Wouldn't have to worry about it the rest of the year. But listen, you'd spend the rest of that day in the hospital for that. Vitamins aren't valuable because you do them in big chunks. Vitamins are valuable because you spread them out. Now, you're not going to go to the hospital because you spend all day studying God's word. But I'm telling you, the value in God's word is not studying it for hours and hours and hours on end. There is some value to that. But the chief value for God's word is to be in it every single day, to study it every day, to have no days that you don't focus on God's word. Now, I love Joshua chapter one, verse eight. There, uh, jo Joshua is the leader, uh, is about to become, <coughs> pardon me, the, the leader of Israel. And uh, two million people, uh, refugees, uh, have just uh, traveled uh, from one continent to another, trying to establish a nation. Uh, there's... Um, there's great turmoil. Uh, there's a great enemy ahead of them. I mean, this was an impossible task. Nobody wanted to be in Joshua's shoes. But God gave Joshua this assignment. And Joshua said, okay, God, how in the world am I going to do that? Managing millions of people, refugees, no money, no land, the land you're telling us to go to. There are people there and they've got uh, armies there. I mean, it's just an impossible task. What am I to do? And listen to what God said. Uh, Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Joshua said, I don't know what to do. This task is too great. What should I do? God said, oh, it's simple. Just spend twice a day 
It really means all day here when it says day and night, but, but to simplify it, twice a day, just read God's word. And, and, and God will use that with the power of the Holy Spirit. Change your life, you'll be successful. We must, we must uh, work hard at God's word and we must be daily in God's word. And then the final thing, we, we need our lives to intersect with, with God's word. <coughs> uh, he says here, as we continue to read, um, he, he says, be careful to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. See, God's word is not just something that we admire. It is something that we engage with so that it will change our lives. <coughs> when I read the newspaper or I read the news online, uh, I am just, I'm just entertained by it or I'm, I am, I'm moved by it. Maybe I, I read an article and I think it's interesting or it's sad or it's happy. Uh, but, but, but it doesn't really change my life. When I read an instruction manual, I read it much differently than I do the news. I read the instruction manual and it says, step one, do this. And I'm putting together a bookshelf from Ikea. So when it says, step one, do this, then I stop and I do it. And then I read, step two, do this. And then I stop and I do that. There, there's, there's two different ways. You read a newspaper article and you read an instruction manual. We need to read God's word as if it were an instruction manual. We need to let it change our lives. There are a lot of things like that. If, you, um, if you're traveling home today and there's a flashing blue light in your rearview mirror on top of a car, that is not just for your entertainment. You don't just need to say to your spouse, oh, look at the pretty blue light flashing at us. No, they want you to respond to that. You need to pull over. They're going to shoot at you, okay? Stop your car. If, if, if you get in your car and there's a little thing that says low fuel, that's not just, you know, to give you reading material on the way home. No, you need to respond to that. Well, God's word is, is it's that kind of message. We should respond to it. In James chapter 1, uh, the Bible says that a man is foolish if he looks into a mirror and he sees that there's something wrong with his face. He's got some, you know, something dirty on his face and he walks away and he doesn't do anything about it. So if we read God's word and it doesn't change our lives, we are a fool as well. God's word needs to intersect with our lives. The Bible says in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. What is the key to being a godly father be invested in his word. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed. <coughs> Father, I pray that the men of our church and the women and the children and everybody connected, but Father, especially the men in our church, that we will have a commitment to God's word. That this won't just be a tack on to life. It won't be an add on, but it'll be something that, that is first priority for us. That we will honor you by investing in your word. Make us a people of the book. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.